0: There we go.
1: Uh, hello, Bradley. Can you hear me? I can. Is it nice and crystal clear?
0: Um, I don't know about crystal clear, but I can hear you.
1: Alright. So, um, welcome back.
0: Oh uh, yeah, thanks for having me back.
1: No problem. I, I figured that because the past few episodes have been uh, relatively deep, we should have a a conversation on something a bit more historically based, and you brought up the idea of the Electoral College. So why don't you reintroduce yourself to people who didn't listen to the, um, the domestic Cold War episode?
0: So yeah, my name is Bradley Lang, and I'm a member of the Baltimore County Republican Central Committee, and I'm also a member of the Maryland and Towson College Republicans and the Maryland Young Republicans.
1: He's also the founder of Eastern Tech
0: <laughs> Yes. Um,
1: which I don't even know how to feature that club booking. Um, I'm going to try and take it over next year. But that's the point. Um, so tonight's episode is on the Electoral College, um, which I know you unilaterally, you unilaterally support, right?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: All right, so give us a quick rundown of what the Electoral College is for people who might not know and why it's important.
0: So the Electoral College is the way in which the United States elects their president. Uh, It is made up of electors from every state and also the District of Columbia. And the amount of electors per state is based off of the amount of congressional representation. So every state has a minimum of two senators and one representative. So the minimum amount of electors a state can have is three. And then they can also obviously be more. Whereas California has fifty-five, I believe.
1: Yeah, California is fifty-five. I know New York, Florida, Texas are also quite large.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um. So so let's let's sort of um. So so why do you necessarily think the electoral? Because I, I first of all, state off. Yes, I obviously support this system. Me and you were in agreement there. Um. But but from your perspective, like, what are your overall like? What's your overall like thesis? You know, like, why do you think it's important to preserve Electoral College in this
0: country? Well, I think it's important first uh, to have the basis of knowledge that the United States is a republic and not a true democracy. Uh, So a republic is a representative form of government. Um, So I think the Electoral College fits in perfectly with that, where we have, uh, you know, it's based on the population, but it's not. It prevents it from being a uh, true democracy, and where the the majority rules and the minority vote has no say. So, yeah, so let's, what it, let's, the electoral college protects the minority opinion. Yeah,
1: that's actually my large my uh, overall agreement too. So let, let's kind of discuss why true democracy in of itself is a bad thing. Because I think that there are people who are going to listen to this and just be like, well, why aren't we encouraging democracy? Because typically when you discuss America in history class, that's the form of government people liken us to, right? You know, you always hear the conversation of, you know, oh, America's a democracy, we must protect the values of democracy, and I just think it rolls off the tongue easier than republic. But it's also reinforced this notion in people's heads that we are for whatever reason, you know, a democratic country. Um... And so I don't know if you know specifically why, but um, give us your view on why why true democracy isn't exactly you know an idealistic uh, form of governing.
0: So a true democracy really isn't feasible. I mean, that would a true democracy would mean uh, not only would the president be elected by the popular vote, but it would it would essentially nullify the idea of a representative government, and it would mean for every issue, every law that needs to go into place would have to be voted on by everyone that it would affect.
1: Yeah, so this is this is important when we're considering what the U.S. is, which is fundamentally an organization of states to form one country, right? These yes. states all have tailored specific issues they deal with. For example, Maryland's uh, congressman are traditionally geared with protecting things like the Chesapeake Bay and protecting the crabbing industry, which is, you know, where our state, you know, those are local issues. Whereas if you look at um, states like Alaska, there are people who seek to, who either seek to expand offshore drilling, or there are people who want to preserve, you know, uh, things like Glacier National Park. Um, and so there are these specific niche issues that affect every state. And so the point of a representative democracy is for voters to, or a representative republic, sorry. Is to cast their vote <clears throat> for for lawmakers who specifically represent their area and will bring their their problems to a national stage. Now, this is a very idealistic concept, and typically things don't shake up like this. But you you kind of brought up this idea of the rule of the majority, right? And and this popular vote idea, because this just, yeah. I, I think I think most criticisms to the electoral college came up in twenty fifteen, right?
0: Yes, and uh, along with with. To the 2000 election with Al Gore and George W. Bush.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there, there obviously have been times where popular vote hasn't determined the winner of the election. But there, there's a reason for that. and We'll get into that. So let's let's examine the, the largest states in our country. All right. So we have we have California, which is obviously the biggest, um, like by, by a landslide. And, and California is an incredibly diverse state. It has a lot of uh, you can literally split it into multiple states if you really want to. You know, there's like the San Francisco region, which is completely different than the Los Angeles region, which is completely different than down by the Mexican border with San Diego, right? Then you have New York, which I know Texas is the second largest um, population-wise. So Texas, you know, another very diverse state. You have a lot of Hispanic voters, which is one of the reasons the state is turning democratic, but that's kind of like the, 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 the point that I wanted to make. And you'll see why. When you're examining New York, law obviously known for its city, you know, that's where the, the most of the population lives is in uh, New York and it's bureaus uh, around it. So it's very democratically concentrated vote there, very democratically concentrated vote in California, very demo- a growing democratic vote in Texas, uh, because your, your older white conservative men that tend to be like staunchly Republican in that state are, are either dying off or, or, um, not voting. So you have like a younger generation of Hispanics and younger liberals aging up, right? And then you have um, some of the swing states, too, which are moving more to the left. You know, I think of states like Michigan and Pennsylvania, which are, which used to be more Republican than they are now, right? So, you have all Well, of actually,
0: states. it's interesting that you bring that up because Michigan and uh, Pennsylvania have actually been moving to the right.
1: What well, yeah, that? but like that's, that's been with, like,
0: the yeah, rise uh, of populism. States like Virginia and Arizona are, are, I would say, are moving to the left.
1: Yeah, okay, that's fair. Whereas, like, you've seen states like West Virginia shift towards us, but, but for the for the sake of this discussion, the only states that really matter with stressing the importance of the majority are, are these these big, populous, like, industrialized, democratically leading states, right?
0: And so the well, fear I, is... Now, go ahead. So, I, I think one thing to keep in mind is if the Electoral College were to be abolished, then state lines wouldn't matter. It would all be population hubs, it would be cities, it would be New York City Los Angeles Chicago it would be these large metropolitan areas rather than states nobody nobody would so so whereas like New Hampshire tends to be a, a more important swing state even though it's got a smaller population nobody would pay attention to it yeah
1: no and and that's important because if you have all these democratically elected states and by democratically I mean like the Democratic Party um is specifically, think about this, popular vote-wise, the Democrats have all the cities. They have all of the cities on lockdown, which is a result of the New Deal coalition, right? Yes. So what happens there, you, you, have, you have Democrats winning every election if we get rid of the Electoral College, whereas the Electoral College preserves a two-party system in which you have a bouncing back of ideas. And I'm not saying, my fear is that the Democratic Party has had a stranglehold of these cities. And so if you make the popular vote, the only thing that matters you know, all of these, these, uh, these candidates go to these largest cities, they hold press conferences, they hold town halls there, and it, it, it attracts all of these viewers because a Republican is never going to win in these cities. And then you basically just get a one party state where these, these more Republican, Midwestern states, and Southern states. The states like, you know, Georgia, even to uh, your Alabamas, your Kentuckys of the world, and then your, your Midwestern states like the Dakotas and Wyoming and Montana, right, which are incredibly Republicans, but <laughs> they, they wouldn't matter because no one would be campaigning there. And so their issues wouldn't get brought to the spotlight. So you kind of lose two crucial elements here. You lose the voice of the minority, you get rid of the, the electoral college. And obviously, there will be times throughout history where the same thing could be said true for Republicans, but, where you have a Democratic minority, but you need to preserve that anyway, just in the sake of uh, representative government. And then you kind of also lose that whole um, – you kind of lose elements of federalism, right? Like you, you lose the cornerstone of what American uh, government is supposed to be based on.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, and, and I feel like there's kind of this conception that the, the, the Electoral College is something the founding fathers only put in place because they, at that time, were not particularly worried. Or well, I mean they were worried about political parties. But they, they were only starting to emerge – you know, with the ratification of the Constitution. You have to remember, the Constitution was not our first government. Right. Um, We had the Articles of Confederation. And and it's like, I don't think that, yes, I do think the founding fathers were elitist in many areas, but I don't think the Electoral College is the prime example of that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Because, like, I'm sure that when when you had delegates from, you know, because at this time you're only looking at 13 states. So you have delegates from, at that time, the larger states. So the largest would be Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have smaller states like New Jersey, Connecticut, um, New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, states states in the north that are just, you know, that tend to be smaller, but the only large northern state at that time being Massachusetts, right? Or at least the only notable one. And so I think the Electoral College was put there to just preserve the sanctity of of um, of these states to keep them as legitimate political forces. And yes, there's going to be times where, and, and from a face value, without understanding the Electoral College, you know, if Hillary Clinton wins the popular vote, why wouldn't the person who's more popular with more people be elected president, right? Like, I can see why at face value it seems bad. Right. Um, so yeah, go, go go into a discussion, you think, so let's say in a hypothetical world where we get rid of the Electoral College, where, where we, we have a constitutional amendment to abolish it, then what does the political scene of America look like, Bradley, to you?
0: Well, essentially, it will be uh, the entire country will when it comes to political parties, the political parties will shift to the urban parties and the, and the rural parties, and they will be fighting over the suburbs. And, and instead of fighting for fighting over swing states, you'll be fighting over suburbs. And I think it, I think it would be a lot uglier yeah, than it is today.
1: Mind. Keep in mind, like we we have um we have like these, these you know people who love these arguments. Well, we're already fighting over sweet state states. Well, there's a reason why because it's because the swing state states are right. so diverse. You know, um, look at look at look at Florida. Florida has been so important in so many elections. You know, think of the 2000 election. That state is why George Bush won the election. And so. Florida's a really good case study to use because you have larger cities like Miami, <laughs> Orlando, right? Um, Tampa, uh, cities like this where, where you have your more urban sorts of voters, right? But then you have the coastline where a lot of people retire to Florida. That's one of the reasons the population is so large, right? Because the weather. So people move down there, they retire. These are going to be your, your older, sort of more conservative sites. And so Florida's such a diverse state that politicians fighting for votes there actually helps their campaign. And the reason for this is because when you're campaigning among diverse sects of fields, you, you right. can get every perspective, right? And when a politician gets every, every perspective, it just either refines what they believe in or changes what they believe in.
0: And so in many ways,
1: the the, the point of having electoral colleges on a smaller scale to reflect what happens in those places, Yeah, if you think about it that way. Um, and, and, and so what what do you think of the odds of the electoral college being abolished well it's that's an
0: interesting question because i think the chances of a constitutional amendment passing are close to zero although there's there's a movement called the national popular vote interstate compact which is take that is a
1: very very well they call
0: it the the npv national popular vote for short so that's how, how i refer to it um so the, the MPV is taken up by state legislators, legislators, and the goal is to essentially pledge their electoral college votes to the winner of the popular vote. But only that will only start when there are enough states signed on to this compact to make make up a majority of. The electoral college votes to 270. Mm. They're kind of close to that, and Maryland was the first state to to sign that into law under O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: well. I'm and sure O'Malley and, and fun fact: one of the le- leading sponsors
0: um, of that bill was then Delegate Johnny Olszewski Jr.
1: cringe well uh it, see like i didn't even know this compact existed so it, it's kind of interesting you bring it up because i agree with you where it's just so hard to get a compact. if if the equal rights amendment which regardless of whether or not you support it, if that doesn't get passed then there's no way that the electoral college is going to be abolished you know something that that if the equal rights amendment you know doesn't fundamentally get passed which is funny because most of the opposition to that came from women but but the um, if that if it, if a constitutional amendment that at face value seems you know very progressive can't get passed, then I honestly doubt that we'll get rid of the electoral college because then it, it not only just changes general elections, it also changes the way primaries work. Um, it which changes it the fabric of our away. country. Uh, oh yeah, this is, so so let's let's actually explain this because we're mm. we're in the middle of a primary election right now and. And so we kind of see the way the Electoral College presents itself also reflected in the yes. country's primary system. Do you agree with that? So, can you explain the way the primary elections work? Because I feel like there's a so lot of people who don't So, it's understand.
0: actually different for each...
1: And, and go over both parties. Right, so, like, so it is different for
0: each party, like slightly. Um, so, essentially, the states vote, they set their own elections, and different states actually do it different ways so different state parties will do it different ways so some states will be winner take all which is the way the majority of states are for the electoral college and others such as Maryland will have uh, certain delegates pledged based on the winner of a congressional district and some will have a combination of that where the, the winner of the statewide vote gets some and then you can also get more by winning congressional districts and then you have on the democratic side it's a similar uh situation but they have something called super delegates which are essentially higher ranking elected officials who will come in and cast their vote in addition to the delegates now say that again. the
1: people by the way <laughs> Party of the so, people. By the way,
0: they, there's actually a lot of controversy around that, and that is that the 2016 election, the super delegates voted with everyone else, and a lot of people blame that for the the downfall of Bernie Sanders in 2016. So in 2020, the the Sanders crowd.
1: See now, that's always something. That- Sorry, that's something I've just. I've, I, I don't.
0: Agree I don't with, necessarily agree with it, but that's whatever. just kind of a. a, a pop, that's a popular. Take. I, I get why it's an argument. Uh, so this. Because
1: you know it, it, it's, right, sorry, this right.
0: uh, it's this So the Sanders crowd lobbied the DNC to change their rules to only allow superdelegates to vote on second ballot, which is which is what happens when nobody wins on the first vote. They go to the second ballot and they keep voting as they go along.
1: Yeah. And, and, and honestly, be frank, most elections are decided first ballot. Um, Cause you know, typically you're coming into the, the, the party convention where this all takes place with an idea of who's going to be your presumptive nominee. Mm-hmm. Um, generally like, like this year, come on, Biden, Biden has it all locked up. I, I mean, there, there's really no way that, I mean, actually that there is a way if the democratic party that but he's not their nominee. But that's like controlled by the DNC. But if that happened, that would be interesting. But primary elections, you know, the reason I bring them up is because, you know, you're not, in a way, you're not directly voting for the candidate. Right. Candidate, you know? You're voting
0: for for so, names uh, of, of delegates, you know, and they will, and the delegates in the primary ballot will have candidate that they intend to vote for next to their name.
1: And, you know, I wonder if, if the, the, this compact thing really wants to take off and the ultimate goal is the, the passage of a constitutional amendment, at least, uh, you know, eliminating the electoral college and transforming us into a popular vote country, in which case, you know, the most amount of popular vote become, you become know, yeah. whoever wins that offense to of the presidency. I feel like the a strategy that would be really effective. I mean, I don't know how much it would catch on but that crowd could probably do something where they literally tell people to not go yeah. out. To it. Because it kinda of forces state legislatures because you know, obviously you can not right. really force anyone to vote. Then it forces state legislators to sorry, my cat is looking at me. It it forces um you know these legislations to legitimately consider the possibility of this amendment. I, I don't know if you're gonna get anything like, you know, like MLK bus boycotts, but at the same time, among the younger crowd, I could well, see it's the it's
0: very close to that to that uh, majority point. Um, although it's the numbers are going to be thrown out of whack with when the census numbers and redistricting happen. Um, but they're they're pretty close, and it and obviously it's mostly it's it's pretty much all leftist leaning states that have signed into this interstate compact um right
1: why wouldn't it be Um, you know but it's it's also
0: medium and larger Uh, states uh smaller states don't seem to uh want to get on board
1: why would they they don't want to give up all their their power oh oh and this is interesting this is another great argument that i've heard which i didn't even consider but when congress was being formed you have the new jersey plan and the connecticut plan right (laughs) whatever or sorry the virginia plan the new jersey plan and the connecticut compromise so the argument becomes well the smaller states don't have a say in the election but the house of the house of or sorry but the senate exists so so they, they might not have a the executive branch they might have say not have say there where they currently have say in the executive branch the legislative branch and just because of the way the Supreme Court works in the judicial branch, right? So the small states have mm-hmm. at least some degree of power in all three. If you get rid of the electoral college, then it throws, the argument becomes, oh, well, you know, the smallest states have two senators. The senators are still highly influential because just the vast degree of power the Senate has things like filibusters and so on and so forth. Um, but then it's like, it's like, oh, well, what about um, the fact that you completely remove any form of executive power these smaller states have they they don't even and because they lose power in the executive branch they also lose power mm-hmm. in the judicial branch because the president appoints Supreme court justices so then the only real outlet for um these smaller states to have any form of say is the senate and the house of representatives can always just override the or always just you know get in the conflict with, with the, the whole bicameral nature of congress so it's, it's like You are fundamentally reducing the power of these smaller states at every level of government. And I don't know, that argument's kind of new, but, I mean, it's still there. Um, Right. So,
0: just just an interesting thought I have is that for every time that the popular vote winner has not won the presidency, if you take away just the the number one largest city then, then the the person who won the presidency would have won. So essentially one city could make the difference in a popular vote system. God imagine. I that mean be, really
1: then you're then you're only then you're then your list of cities that you're fighting over becomes right you would,
0: you would have if in a popular vote system, you would probably have the top twenty-five largest cities be the only places that are campaigned in.
1: Dear Lord, you could—you wouldn't even see cities like San Diego or how even Baltimore be considered? Like you'd have all your efforts be concentrated in like Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, San right. Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Detroit, Tampa, Orlando, right. cities like this. I mean, I. I don't know. And and honestly, I think this all harkens back to this view of the Constitution as some sort of, like, elitist, you know, and in many ways, the founding fathers were elitist. But, like, at the same time, the Electoral College, as I said earlier, is not one of them. Um, And I think it's just kind of this whole narrative the left is in recent years where it's like, oh, the the founding fathers of our country hated the average man and wanted to reduce his safety to the Electoral College. When it's just like, no, at that time, the Federalists and the Democratic uh, Republicans were forming just over the issue of ratification of the Constitution, so political parties were there anyway. Um, and my guess is these intellectual people who, you know, you know, such as James Madison, who literally wrote the Constitution, they they would have seen... Um, they would have probably predicted what was going yeah. to happen. Something similar to this. Um, I mean, Washington didn't like political parties. He justice.
0: didn't really have much of a choice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially given his own cabinet. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, tell, tell the story of the uh, just how important constitutional amendments are. We should we should discuss the. Uh, well, we might be able to do a I
0: whole other episode because on. Because I that. think
1: it's kind of telling. That actually is fair. Um, we could always bring up the, the Jefferson Hamilton, fight um, like debate because I always thought that that was absolutely hilarious. Or the John Adams Thomas Jefferson debate. Sorry. I've always thought that's hilarious. Like, literally, just imagine having Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton as <laughs> your president and <of> vice president. <laughs> that would be... Yeah. Holy mackerel. But no, yeah. It, um, and actually, uh, rather than having an episode on that, I want to do an episode where we talk about uh, whether or not a two-party system is just, like, fundamentally better than That would than be fun. Because um, I think that would be interesting. Um, but do you have anything um, else to add to this discussion?
0: Well, I, I just... Uh... Hope everyone who doesn't support the electoral college can can start to realize how how much it would hurt the the rural American.
1: Yeah, let's, let's not hurt the farmer who's supplying your needs. You know, let's not hurt the farmer. Your avocados is for your, your to avocado toast. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm I'm done. Thanks for having me again. Um, All right. No problem. This (laughs) was, was, uh, I think, better than last time. I think this was a good discussion.